website. to the Hindsight Podcast, where we speak to folks from all over the healthcare industry about different subjects that might be relevant, pertinent, and timely. Uh, it's a healthcare system that, frankly, is suffering, if not completely broken, and I'm always excited to hear from different voices in the industry and ideas, concepts on how we might be able to improve things. So with that, I am very excited to introduce guest number three to the Hindsight Podcast. All right, I'm very excited to welcome our guest today, Dr. Jonathan Wiesen. He's going to uh, to give a little overview of himself before we jump right into things. All right, uh, thanks. Uh, thanks, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and chat with you, Steve. Um, you know, uh, I, I am a doctor. Uh, there are many Dr. Wiesens in my family. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, my father's a physician, my brother's a physician, my wife's a psychologist. So. There's no end to people who can help you in a myriad of different ways. Uh, I am a practicing pulmonary and critical care physician, smack in the middle of my ICU nights week uh, right now. So uh, that's why I have my coffee here to keep me awake uh, through this spirited conversation. Um, and, and actually, Mediorbis was born in the hospital with a desire to use technology to be able to help patients and to bring innovative and efficient ways of taking care of patients with the highest level of care. And uh, from our inception, we were focusing on bringing the top doctors, focusing on longitudinal care, virtual primary care, and specialty care, both domestically, of course, all 50 states 24-7, but also internationally working with partner networks across the globe. We've been fortunate to work together in all those different regions and all those different areas and all those different modalities. And so it's really great to have the opportunity to chat with you today. Awesome. I really appreciate it, especially in the in the midst of a week of you working nights for you making some time for us today to, to talk to us about some interesting subjects. And, and as you mentioned, you know, we've had the opportunity in the past to work together. Uh, I got the, the, the fortunate opportunity to build some pretty cool software and your company was one of the few out there that was more than willing to work with us on customizing and making that user experience the best that it could be. And we've uh, we've really appreciated working with you ever since then. So Today we're going to change subjects a little bit, maybe from the more typical telemedicine and and uh, and you know any software development. Talk a little bit more about uh, you know healthy weight and and obviously the GLP one buzz that is uh, you know all over the industry right now. And maybe start. To, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on just obesity in general as an epidemic. I think you know across the U.S. across the world really. So give us a little bit of your thoughts on that and some background. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Steve. Uh, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, I always say that in order to understand what's going wrong, you have to understand how things should be in their ideal state. In medical school, we talk about understanding physiology, how the body typically works, in order to understand pathology, how it's breaking down and, and how to fix it. And so I think that we've seen in our society a huge shift from what we would consider sort of like the natural way of human behavior, which was cultivated over many, many, many uh, thousands, millions of years, and have now shifted in a com to a completely different way of living, like even what we're doing now, right? People would never be able to communicate with each other, for, you know, hundreds, thousands of miles away, if not for modalities that have been introduced over the last couple of years. And it's completely changed society. 
Um, and, uh, and, and everything that we do is being influenced by um, new innovations, whether it's technology and, and how we entertain ourselves, whether it's social interactions and how we communicate with other people, um, food, types of food that we eat. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm looking like this company didn't exist, you know, 30 years ago and I'm about to, um, you know, I'm about to eat uh, food that didn't exist. You know, I have a protein bar that didn't exist 20 years ago. And, um, you know, our diets are completely different and, and our um, ways of interacting with the world are different. You walk down the street, you know, like every single kid has their face buried in their phone. You know, what's that going to do long term? I don't know, but it's not it's not natural. Right. Natural right. is like what what we did as kids. We like jumped off buildings and, you know, ran off cliffs and did all those incredibly crazy, dangerous things. But that's more natural than just walk around, you know, with your face buried in a phone. And I think obesity is indicative of those changes that have taken place over the last couple of years. The completely different type of diet, completely different type of entertainment, completely different type of social interactions, and completely different types of uh, of, of ways of keeping ourselves busy. Um, that has that has changed things, and so our bodies, which adapted so well to the life which we had for many, many, many years, is now maladapting to the current lifestyle. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's interesting if you if you go back in, in time, I think obesity wasn't really a massive problem until much more recently in, in our history. And, you know, even if you look at, you know, maybe the last hundred years, um, it's certainly more prevalent than it was two, three, four, a thousand years ago. But in my my quick read on this is that in the last probably 10 to 15 years, it's really skyrocketed. And, and I think you you make some very valid points as to why, just the technology and the way that our lifestyles have changed. Yeah, you know, um, I'll, I'll tell you a quick funny story. So on our, uh, one of my tests in medical school, the question was, what is the number one modifiable risk factor for chronic medical conditions in society? And I was sitting there and it was smoking and obesity. And I remember hearing that obesity was either about to be number one or was currently number one, right? So I was like, I can't remember. I know that it's almost number one. Is it actually number one? So for so many years, we had to deal with smoking and that was it. Uh, but now obesity has overtaken smoke it, smoking as the number one modifiable risk factor for chronic medical conditions in our society. Uh, I do think I got it wrong. <laughs> on the test. But, I, but I, I know that they're both bad, right? So I, it doesn't mean that I'm a bad doctor. Uh, I, I don't recommend uh, obesity or smoking. They're both, you know, poor choices. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and really, um, we see a completely different shift in society. When I was doing my family medicine rotation, the project that I worked on was looking at the sociologic phenomenon of obesity in children where you have entire um, cities where one out of three children are overweight, which is something that is a completely new demographic shift in our society. It used to be uh, that only the people who had tons of food were able to get fat. And so, so actually obesity was considered good because it was indicative of plentiful lifestyle. Um, now you go to McDonald's and uh, for less than the price of like a, a good piece of fish, get you know 10 hamburgers and so the entire paradigm of our society has been changing and the, i mean you, you make the the point about mcdonald's kind of half jokingly but 
absolutely the the calories that you can get in that one meal is equivalent to the calories that you know we might have had in an entire day 20 50 100 years ago and yet the right. other thing about it is they're not necessarily you know that the whole calories in um calories out it, it's not the same equation right they're different type of calories they're not necessarily yeah. the same you know more sugars more fats than what we would have normally gotten say 100 years ago when we were eating a, a relatively normal meal exactly and and there's a lot of uh of people there are many people out there that will say don't eat fruits because they have a lot of natural sugar and and they do have a lot of sugar but i i don't believe that it's the same as a packet of pure cane sugar which is ultra fine processed i consider myself a health hero for not putting any sugar in my coffee uh and i think well you know no no one ever had sugar in their coffee you know thousands <laughs> of years ago certainly not the kind that we have um white pure cane sugar you know is and we know that it causes inflammation that it's stored in the body uh in excess and so you're absolutely right that it's not just pure number of calories which is probably an outdated or archaic way of thinking of things it's the types of calories that we're putting in and and also the times in which we do it you know again you think about a hundred years ago you couldn't really eat like every hour or every two hours if you wanted to. Whereas I just walk to my pantry and I grab a Snickers bar and then go back to my desk and uh, and, and 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 that's as easy as could be. That that was a, that's a completely different new uh, a new way of of people living their lives. Uh, absolutely, and and yeah, I mean. Depending on where you live, you know, if you're if you're listening to this, perhaps from in the city, you may not have the opportunity to get out and and get as much exercise as if you're, say, still living in the country and you're maybe working on a farm. Whereas, as you said, 100 years ago, you know, it, you didn't jump into a car to go down the street. You maybe you had a horse and you were lucky and you'd go out and saddle up the horse and jump on the horse. But that's still some sort of physical activity as opposed to now. I mean, you can really jump in the car. You go down the street, you pick up your coffee at uh, at whatever, you know, corner coffee shop that you've got. Yeah. So as not to buzz market anybody. And right. then uh, and then onwards to your next place where you might pick up a snack. You know, it's it's right. it's just much different today than it was. And so how do we how do we tackle that? How do we change that dynamic when when you know obviously some of these great advancements we've had because they they really have transitioned as a society technology some of these things are are fantastic and yet we got to be able to live yeah. with that and and still balance the dynamic. I think we should bring horses back quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> solve all of our problems <laughs> a little little messier in the city though <laughs> oh my gosh yeah it'll, it'll raise other ones <laughs> uh yeah it's it's again it's um it's a great question and something that's very important to think about and uh and and i think that um one of the problems that we have as a society is is not being able to really sit down and think about things and discuss things in a very transparent and a very honest manner. Uh, I, I lived in New York for many years and I personally, again, political affiliations and decisions aside, I was a big fan of Mayor Bloomberg's initiative to try to decrease the amount of soft drinks that were being offered in public schools. The thinking was, hey, we have something that there's dozens of studies demonstrating its poor health effects uh, specifically on children and we're giving it out for free to the children in the public schools, why don't we not do that? Isn't that a great idea? And I was on board with that. Of course, 
it got into a whole political back and forth and people telling telling him that he's trying to control their lives and that they're going back to uh to you know uh, a dictatorship and and all these crazy things where you know all the guy wanted to do was say taxpayers shouldn't pay for unhealthy food for children <laughs> that's right. it that's it exactly you know um and i have a small measure of that in the hospital they have the same thing they don't offer regular sodas and and me you know i crave sugar late at night i'm working in the icu and you have to sneak around you have to know exactly where to go in order to find <laughs> the sugar drinks um but you know we we are not working together as a society to figure out okay listen this is obviously a problem how do we put our differences aside our different political positions aside and try to do what's good for our kids in in a very respectful very open and a very transparent way uh, I, that's that's really what what we need to do and i think that the answers don't require brain surgery you don't have to be a genius to understand that there are certain foods that we're consuming in excess that are not healthy you don't have to be a genius to understand that overall, again, just as a general concept, exercise, activity are, are good things, uh, certainly for children, for adults as well, of course, uh, to be involved in. There's actually, I think, one of the more interesting studies that I saw published probably 15 or 20 years ago in the New England Journal of Medicine demonstrated that sedentary lifestyle actually increased your risk of cancer. And one would think that the two have nothing to do with each other. Cancer is purely an issue of abnormal DNA in, in precancerous cells and and lack of mobility and lack of active lifestyle is simply a question of weight or cardiovascular problems. But no, they, there are huge systemic effects. There's a huge impact on the body that being active has uh, on the heart, on cancer prevention, uh, on the on the mind, you know, on your mental health. And so I think we really have to work together to do the common sense things that I think we all know are a good idea to do. Absolutely. The uh, it's funny you mentioned the, the the smoking versus obesity question earlier, and at least you know I'm not uh, obviously not a, not a doctor on this subject, but you know my my observation has been that smoking decreased not not necessarily that obesity overtook smoking, but that through some changes in society, through some laws that came into play, through different things, yeah. we actually decreased the smoking. And, and I think the same could be done for obesity, or, or at least to, you may not completely tackle obesity, but you could certainly change the, the diet and nutrition that people are taking if we, if we just change the way that society looks at it a little bit. Absolutely. And that's a great point. Uh, no one is out there crying for Philip Morris because you know, kids are not smoking camel cigarettes the way that they used to 20, 30 years ago. Um, yet you have so much uh, so so much pushback when you try to help people in, in other, you know, meaningful lifestyle ways. You know, I'm I'm curious if it's okay if I could ask uh, you, I'm I'm curious how these sort of issues, calculations play into into the work that you do. I mean, you do complex case management. You're managing um, members with a myriad of different health conditions, a myriad of different lifestyles. How do you take into account these changing factors in society? That's a great question, and and that thank you for. Usually, it's the the other way around. I don't get the questions, and and so I appreciate you taking the time to ask me one. Um, you know, if you look at 
I'll call it the the general population that we manage, they tend to be sicker. Um, and it, you know, again, not being a doctor, just observing what I see, you have people that when they have obesity, they tend to also have other things. Um, yep. You know, obesity itself kind of lends itself to some of these other components. And with that, there may even be some depression. So you may have, let's say, um, you know, I don't know, as an example, you might have high blood pressure, you might have uh, some problems with mobility, you might not be getting enough exercise. And as a result, you know, you might also be a little bit depressed. And so the the types of patients that we see and manage, there's, there's just, there's a broad um, panoply of, of different progressions of, of disease and, sure. and, and aspects to it. And so, our, you know, our team tries to manage the whole person. It's never a disease or a, a condition that we're managing. It's never a, you know, a, a case in the, in the perspective of, oh, hey, this is going on. It's a, how do we understand this individual and the setting in which they exist? And, you know, what are the social impacts that are driving the behaviors that are then leading to these conditions? And can we find ways to work with them to adopt? And so, you know, we have a whole behavioral health team who who really are just exceptional in in how they coach and and mentor the rest of the, the team to look at, you know, that specific individual. Well, that person was going through some depression. Maybe they had something going on in the family. And as a result, they stopped doing the exercise that they were doing before. They just lost interest in it. Well, okay, what if we could treat the the underlying depression and therefore bring them around a little bit, and then they re-engage in the activities that they used to love that they had just lost interest in? You know, so it's a great question and it's it's a complex one. Um, but but you know, to, short answer is our team is generally looking at the the individual and trying to understand the complex situation that they're in. Right. I think you actually um, point to a, a much more important difference uh, that I know for a fact your organization stands for, but I think as society, we're slowly coming around to, which is rather than identifying problems and pointing fingers at people who have the problems, we're trying to find creative solutions. And so you're not saying, oh, you know, you have this issue and that issue and you know, all these different things heck with you <laughs> we're writing you up <laughs> you know you guys go in and say hey we we can help we're going to do the best that we can we're going to try to make make your life better try to improve your health metrics your clinical features your cardiovascular risk profile your mental health and that's a that's a huge shift from from 20 30 years ago uh, as far as so again from an, from an uh, outside observer you know you say i'm not a doctor i'm not an insurance guy <laughs> i'm not a you know <laughs> complex case manager so just from my purview that's sort of the impression that i get from looking at the market and looking at the companies that we associate with absolutely and it's you know i always feel like when i'm when i'm looking at some of these situations and i'm i'm thinking about it it's 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 never a simple solution. It's never like, okay, I, I can tell you that this individual just needs, you know, to to take this medication or to do this. No, it's always a much more complex because every individual and every person that you're that you're dealing with, they have unique things going on in their lives that that require an understanding, a certain level of of comprehension, and and you know, part of our society. And again, back to the sort of societal question. We're very much instant gratification, you know, solution. And, and so as as we talk a little bit maybe about some of the other ways that we're starting to manage obesity, the the you know, the the pill solution, if you will, or now maybe more of an injection. Um, how do we how do we balance the two of them where 
you can have an overall need to to be a healthy weight and that might require some lifestyle change and it might require eating differently and exercising a little bit more but sometimes you know no matter how hard you try no matter who you are for whatever circumstances you're just not getting there and so maybe it's time to try a medication or you know there's even the the bariatric surgery that's out there and i've seen people have success with that as well What's the right time to introduce that? Is it, you know, is it a real viable solution? Is it a long-term solution? Lots of questions here. Let's let's talk a little, let's dive a little bit into that world. Yeah, sure. And it's a great question. And I'll tell you that uh, you can write books if you start from the approach of you can only choose one. Which one do you choose? You only have one option, right? You've got one bullet. Um, but but that's not life. That's not reality. Reality is complex. Reality is multifaceted, and interventions are multi-tiered. So the the reality is, and all the the studies show this, and all the guidelines recommend this, that you should have a multimodality approach to everything. And and this is right. I'm I'm preaching to the choir, right? That's that's what you guys eat for breakfast. Um, but there, it's not like you can only choose one. Um, and I always say you have to meet patients where they're at. If they, if you can talk to them and help them understand that uh, healthy lifestyle changes, diet and exercise, um, food selection, whatever it is, intermittent fasting, you, you throw out a potential lifestyle change that could be beneficial for their health is valuable. That's great. Um, with that, or in place of that, or, um, or layered or tiered with that, medication, surgery, all of those are really important parts of the overall plan and part of the algorithm that the societies recommend. So, so you know, someone who, um, who has a larger problem has more of a need to act quicker and attack the problem head on. Someone who has less of a problem can take their time a little bit more with slowly, slowly, you know, making headway. And all of those are really important features in the clinical management of, of members, patients, beneficiaries who are struggling with these with these problems. You know, when I was in medical school, uh, so you know, we're talking a few years ago. I graduated medical school in 2009, so 2005 to 2009. All the studies were coming out showing how there was a huge number of patients who had bariatric surgeries who had their diabetes reversed, and now we're seeing. Um, very similar outcomes with uh, with the uh, weight loss medications that you alluded to. So they're both very good. They're both very important, and they both can be helpful with the appropriate um, multi-modality and complex patient management. Um, again, like I don't believe in only one choice. You know, is it only surgery or only medications or only lifestyle? No, the answer is all the above. Um, and I think that again, um, if you if you only select one, let's say you're going out and just you know there are telemedicine companies out there that are just like throwing out weight loss medicines left and right. If that's all that you're doing, I think that you're doing the patients a disservice because you're not also offering them um, nutrition counseling and management and care in engagement the way that Heinz does and the way that we do with our medical weight loss program, where you have coaches talking to them, you have people who are specialists in this who have seen many, many, many cases in their life giving them guidance and instruction, engaging them, embracing them, helping them not just, you know, shed a few pounds with medication, but also changing their entire lifestyle. That's great. If you can incorporate all of those different components, make 
significant life standing lifelong changes that's the best because then you're bringing everything together absolutely so you know if you, i guess one of the things that i'm i'm worried about with the, the new medication um craze if you will uh it's a buzz i guess um right if you look back over the history of weight loss there's been you know rainbow pills back in the 50s and 60s uh you had fen fen what in the in yeah. 90s i think um you know it seems like the the new wave of of the glp1 medications were designed more for diabetes and kind of as a uh, you know progression learned that it would work well for weight loss and and it seems to me that the the process of getting there was much more robust than with some of those previous medications sure. but it still seems like it's a medication you'd have to take for life unless you're making some of those lifestyle changes and and being able to to really adapt to so so sure you could use the medication right. as a kickstarter but ultimately you need to make those lifestyle changes um, how do we make sure that that doesn't end up being the case? How do we make sure this isn't just another, you know, Fen Fen or, or rainbow diet pill fad? I, I, I think that's a great question and no one really knows the answer as of yet. Um, and we'll say that, uh, I've been around for, for not the longest time, right? The original Dr. Reason has been around for longer, <laughs> uh, but I've been in, in medicine now for two decades and, and this is as close to a, a clinical revolution as I've seen in terms of really making a big dent on population health and, and society's clinical well-being. It really is. They are outstanding. They help with heart failure, they help with chronic kidney disease, they help with obesity, diabetes. I mean, those are four massive, massive um, population health problems and, and these medications help with them. So far be it for me to say anything negative about them. But like you said, uh, number one, cost. Number two, long-term outcomes. We, we don't have someone who's been on it for 30 years, right? So what are what are the physiologic outcomes? I, no one really knows. What, right? We have data of people who have kept a healthy lifestyle for 30 years at this point. Um, you know, we followed uh, in, in Framingham, Massachusetts, we followed them for 50 years, 60 years. Like we have a, a decent idea of, of those sort of interventions. We, we don't know about the medications. Um, and, and I agree with you that, that I don't view them as a long-term solution. I view them as a way of kickstarting. I view them as a way of helping patients who really need help and may not be able to um, perform those lifestyle changes because they're busy at work or because they have five kids like I have at home uh, or because you know something as simple as someone hurt their knee and now they can't run or walk or you know we have to be sensitive to those situations they they exist and it's important to be able to offer solutions even in those instances um and again that being said i don't think that there's any replacement for living healthy healthier lifestyle and it also um flies against logic i saw this commercial once for lipitor and i was in medical i was in undergrad i was in college and i was livid is basically uh uh it was a big ice cream sundae and you know you had someone looking at it you know like oh my gosh i want to have this and then another person came and sprinkled some lipitor on top of the ice cream and said like oh now you can eat the ice cream and oh. i thought to my, oh my god this is literally the worst message you could possibly give to someone 
go out and eat the most unhealthy thing possible. And don't worry, you have medications to go back and help you when you develop these complex medical conditions as a result. Like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that what? is a horrible idea. So, and that, that's exactly the 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 concern that I have around around this, you know, does it just make it okay to take bad decisions, you know? And and I, I don't think it does. So I, I right. I'm shocked. I, I'm glad I don't recall that commercial because that's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping I'm hoping that it's just poor recollection at this point and that it didn't actually happen. Uh, you know, it's like go out for a run so you could smoke a pack of cigarettes and not get short of breath. <laughs> doesn't sound like a winning motto to me <laughs> not not quite the balance that that you're looking for it's um it, the other one that i guess I, I wonder about so if i'm the person that needs to lose you know 10 or 15 pounds um is this is this the right decision or is it a different decision you know is is a glp1 type medication an answer for me to to get to that let's say ideal weight versus just a you know, somebody who is uh, really struggling with heavy obesity and as a consequence maybe has all the other things that might come with that, um, sort of a more life-threatening level of obesity, if, if you will. What right. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, so we live in the world of the Kardashians where everyone does whatever they want. If you see it on social media, <laughs> it's truth regardless of everything. But I'm a doctor, I'm a physician, and I'm a clinician. And in my heart of hearts, I'm really like an academic physician. If you show me clinical data, I believe it. If you don't show me clinical data, I don't. Uh, I worked with uh, with a physician, um, Dr. Mikhail Sekaris, who I love dearly. And uh, and he once was joking with me once, and he said, if someone tells you, in my experience, assume they've seen it once. <laughs> and his point was that, that you should follow the evidence, follow the academic uh, data, and, um, and, 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 and use that to guide your practice more than someone just telling you, this is what I tend to observe. Because observations, as we know, tend to be uh, not always objectively accurate. They're very subjective. Uh, so, so we do have clinical guidelines as to when you should start medications and which patients would, uh, would benefit the most, just as we have guidelines for when bariatric surgery is indicated. And, and it, again, like, Outside the world of social media and what what everyone's doing on uh, on um, you know Facebook and on uh, on Snapchat, uh, I'm sorry, I'm I'm dating myself. Uh, <laughs> is it Instagram? Sorry. I'm not sure what the, the yeah we're, one is. we're Insta or uh, <laughs> you know um, but but so the the guidelines are that someone who has a BMI above I believe it's 27, who has already tried the lifestyle interventions or above 30, 35, um, those are the, the people, according to the society guidelines, who would benefit from this. So I, I would follow those in guiding my recommendations to people who come to me for advice, which is, you know, don't follow my experience because maybe I just saw it once, but we have published guidelines and, and those are those are important to follow. And so you have someone who, uh, and, and we've taken care of a lot of members in our medical weight loss program. So we've seen a lot of different iterations, you know, people uh, who go out and they, they're very diligent. They do, um, they do time restricted eating and they're careful about the type of carbohydrates and sugars that they eat and they are still not losing the weight that they want to lose. They would be uh, good, 
good person to then start a medication on because they they actually have failed the lifestyle interventions in terms of losing weight. Other people who who have not gone that way wouldn't necessarily, again, according to the guidelines, be the person who you would be starting the medications on. Um, and to that end, we've also done um, clinical work with our physician network as a gateway, as a, as a gatekeeper, I should say, to be able to help prevent some of the costs associated with these very expensive medications because lifestyle interventions are still the first place to go for most patients, for most members, and for most people coming to you for advice. And so if you can offer a lifestyle intervention, a life lifestyle changing program, so there'll still be people who won't succeed either because their bodies are not made for it or because their lifestyle doesn't allow for it. Absolutely. But you'll be able to help a lot of people. And again, from a from an insurance, this is your area, right? But from an insurance <laughs> and from a cost standpoint, you're able to bring down the overall costs of care and you're doing it in a way that actually is supported by the guidelines and I think overall is healthier for the patients. But, and and you know, I guess one of the principles uh, at play is is the risk reward, if you will, or or the you know uh, by by bringing down someone's obesity, you're also lowering their risks for a lot of other things. And so, right. is it worth the investment to 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 bring the obesity down in order to then hopefully save yourself in the long run on a lot of potentially very costly and and life impacting medical conditions that might uh, that might be much worse than just being a little bit overweight. Um, right. it, it's an interesting question, you know, as an as a insurance company or if you're sitting in the the employer's seat looking at your employee population and, you know, you want to help them. And I, I know as as, you know, Heinz as as our business, as our own employees, it's a question I always ponder is, you know, we want to give them every opportunity to lead a healthy lifestyle and and give them every you know advantage that we can. But as a as a company, we also have to do the right thing in terms of how much can we spend on healthcare. And you know, when healthcare costs are are going up every year, and then you see a new medication come out that skyrockets the price, there's a balancing act, and it's not a simple one. So I, I guess the next question I'd want to ask is, you know, leading into that. What is you know is there a is there a um, a right way for an employer or an insurance company to look at this question and try to determine what the what the right decision for them is? Do you, do you have a framework that we could try to position on? How do you how do you think of the the, the cost benefit analysis here, if you will? So I'm the wrong person to ask because <laughs> I'm a doctor, right? Doctors have a very simple way of thinking about things, which is. I have a patient, I want to do the best thing for them, and whoever it is that's going to handle it should pay for it, period. That's it. It's that simple. And I always joke that in, in training, right, thank God I got amazing training uh, with outstanding mentors. I feel very comfortable with complex critical care, pulmonary conditions, lung transplants, interstitial lung disease. Um, and, uh, and, and I saw just an incredible array of pathology, pathophysiology, and, and I learned nothing about medical business, nothing. The extent to our like backend financial discussions that we had were uh, a couple of sessions on just how to bill and how to code for procedures, interventions, and things that we did in practice. Again, which, which, meet, which, is, which is reinforcing the idea of you're a, you're a clinician, you have a patient, 
you do what's right for them and and then just try to get reimbursed for it um when you look at the the real world right the world that you play in uh and the world that i sort of play in uh then cost is a very important feature and uh and and you you have to think about on a population level you know we don't have just an uh, uh, an infinite amount of resources at our disposal so how do we allocate them appropriately so uh you know and and i always you know like i said data 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 right why we should have studies we should have people going out and saying okay here's a good risk calculator for the risk of your population with this many patients who have obesity who will lower their risk profile by this amount if they take the medications it'll cost you this amount so you may be able to save this um, or it's not it's not cost effective to be able to do that uh and 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 do a real analysis of what this means for society what this means for patients what this means for for insurers uh instead i just hear a lot about you know we're going to cover it we're not going to cover it they have an indication they don't have an indication um without really getting into the weeds of the details of what it means to cover it um and and again like if you're going to if you're talking about a population health and you're going to be uh, addressing it for, as an insurer, as a payer, as an administrator, then then I, I would think you would want to have the data behind your decisions. But it just seems like the classic, you know, you know, push and pull tug of war of, well, you know, I think it's better for the patients, but I don't want to pay the money. So we'll just keep going at it until eventually someone gives. <laughs> and, you know, um, I'd love to hear what your experience has been. Uh, you know, again, much more closer and much more involved to that process than I am. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, to, you, you touched on it almost, uh, you know, exactly. The, the first reaction, I think, is, well, this medication is really expensive and we don't know if it works yet. It hasn't been proven long term. We don't have the data. Let's just put the brakes on this and not and not offer it. Um, and then I think there was right. a lot of pushback. The, the sense that I got, at least, was, well, wait a second, we think this might be actually a really solid uh, solution. Right. And, and we do believe that the data may be there somewhat. It's not, you know, it certainly hasn't hit the masses yet, but there are some indications from early tests that things look positive. And there's a demand, you know, obviously with the uh, with all of the advertising that's been going on, people are asking a lot about this. And so we said, okay, well, can certain groups, certain payers are starting to offer it now. There was pushback from the employees. I think that actual answer is somewhere in between my my gut feeling is you know as much as as um probably people hate to hear the gatekeeper idea is is you know there is a spot where this makes a lot of sense i think it really could help people to transform their lives and 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 that's a good thing but just you know offering a prescription to a medication without knowing that you're going to make some of those necessary lifestyle changes that come along with it because it is it's it's got to be a handshake between either the patient and the doctor or the right. member and the insurer or however you want to look at it the employer and their employee saying yeah you know what we're we're going to pay this this high cost to get you these medications to start you on the right path to a change in lifestyle because ultimately it has to be a change in lifestyle. Otherwise, you know, it, it, there is no magic pill that's going to to keep you at a healthy weight for the rest of your life. At least in my in my in my opinion and and experience, it just that doesn't exist yet. Um, 
So that's kind of the way I, I look at it. And I've I've been trying to, to contemplate it and see, okay, what kind of framework can we put around that? How do you make sure that that handshake happens, that the doctor and the patient agree that they're going to make these lifestyle changes, that the employer and the employee say, hey, yes, we're going to pay for this so long as you are putting in your piece of the effort. You can't just take a, a shot and hope that that's going to do it for you. Um, yeah. And I don't know that that's the ultimate answer, but that's what kind of makes sense to me. And I, I agree 100% in that it's not a one-way street, it's a two-way street. And you have two people who are affected by this, and therefore it's really important for them to both try to give to be able to reach a medium solution. And I agree 100% uh, that there, you know, there's a social contract that we live by, and, uh, and, and I, I believe strongly in it. And I, I'll, I'll tell you honestly, as a physician, I do feel like there's a lot of burden on the clinicians and less of a burden on the patients when it comes to a lot of metrics in healthcare. I mean, look at how um, physicians are judged, look at how hospitals and healthcare systems, how insurers, how payers are judged. It's all based on the patient outcomes, but there's not a lot of accountability on the patient member beneficiary side. Um, and I think that that's a place that we need to get to. And, and that uh, is very important because it's not, then you have a, a sort of like covenantal relationship. Then you have a, a, bin, a binary relationship where two sides are coming together and they're, they're trying to solve a pro problem at the same time, as opposed to, you know, well, this is what I want. This is what you want. So we'll just get engaged in this tug of war. And, you know, in the end, one of us will win, but, but really everyone loses. Absolutely. Yeah, it's we weren't talking technology, but I'm going to have to bring it in here because I am a very passionate individual around technology and data and how that can play into things. And, you know, I, I as a as a data junkie, if you will, I love tracking what different wearable devices and and things can tell me about how healthy I am and and how I how I might be you know taking care of myself or not taking care of myself and and right. to that end I I would think that with all of these the new technology the new data that's available like if you go back in time I can remember when my father was very very sick when I was younger he didn't have a lot of information around, you know, how right. was he doing? And yet in, in later life, when he'd go see his doctor, he had a graph that he had charted himself of his insulin uh, response every day and how much insulin he was taking and what his measurement was and everything else, because it was available to him. And and now you'd probably get all that in an app. Um, right. But, you know, to your point is the patient, the, the, the human needs to be just as interested in their own health as the doctor is it's it's we're, we're we're a society in my opinion where we go to the doctor with a problem and expect the doctor to solve it when at least half of it has to be on our own self to to, to help solve right yeah a hundred percent and i had a, a a friend who was the chief medical officer at a large uh public hospital system and he would always tell me how they they were always being penalized because they were dealing with a patient population that was very difficult to manage. And, 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 and it's, it's um, health equity, like it's, it's a big problem. Um, at the same time, the, the solution is not publish, uh, sorry, punish those providers and those health systems that are trying to help these complicated populations. It's support them, buttress them, come up with um, scoring system so that you can assist them, you know, rather than just continuously flogging the ones who 
are trying to solve the hardest problems. It's uh, it's a very interesting challenge. I remember, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Atul Gavande. Uh, sure. Yeah, years ago, I read one of his articles and he talked about exactly that in New Jersey, uh, looking at a population and trying to figure out how to help some of the, the people that were having the biggest problems at a societal level. They just couldn't afford certain types of care and they were ending up back in the ER all the time. And, and I, I remember thinking of that challenge from a data perspective, because it's the way that he kind of approached the article that he wrote. Um, mm -hmm. And it was just fascinating. How, you know, how can you look at and identify these populations and then help them? And as you say, those are perhaps the ones that are least likely to help themselves. And right. you don't want the health system to be punished in consequence. No, they're actually doing right. the right work. But uh, right. and there's there's some interesting challenges out there for us. Yeah, but that's why we're doing this, right? To be able to help, to be able to try to solve some of these problems, make people have a longer, healthier lifestyle, and hopefully not go broke in the process. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, Dr. Wiesen, I, I really appreciate you taking some time with us today. Um, always interesting to, to chat with you. I'd like you to give just a little overview of Mediorbis. What we'll do, it we'll drop down in the you know the comments below or whatever uh, a link to your uh, website and and your contact details. But if you could just talk to us a little bit about what you what you do uh, with Mediorbis and and kind of give everyone a good idea of of all the great things that you're working on. Sure, sure. I think this is the point where everyone press to stop, but <laughs> I'll just keep it <laughs> the brief. Uh, so as I mentioned, you know, we were we were really founded in the Starbucks um, in, a, in a hospital where myself and some of my colleagues were sitting around thinking, you know, hey, we're taking care of these complex patients coming from all over the world. How can we do this in a much more cost and time effective way? And uh, And the answer to all of us was use technology and be able to create innovative platforms, interesting new innovative workflows and way of ways of taking care of patients using new modalities uh, to take care of patients to be able to drive improved outcomes and uh, and engagement. So uh, from our inception, uh, we we recognize that number one, you need to have the top providers, outstanding physicians, outstanding clinicians, outstanding team members in order to be successful. Number two, the platform has to be has to be as good as it gets. My partner Mahesh built, you know, an outstanding platform. You're very familiar with it, and uh, it, it's incredible because it's malleable and flexible enough to be able to take care of the simplest telemedicine things. You know, you call from New Jersey with a sinus infection, we could take care of you in a couple of minutes. Um, to complex, um, to complex uh, medical weight loss, uh, longitudinal care, virtual primary care and uh, and um, expert um, specialists that work through our platform to be able to help members with complex cases and specialty cases. Do you need chemotherapy? What's the best treatment? Do you need surgery? All of those are um, ways in which we can help members through our platform. So one point of contact to be able to access a global network and global providers to be able to help in a myriad of ways, not just episodically at the time where you need help, but also longitudinally moving forward for the, the long-term and continuous care of chronic medical conditions. 
I can attest uh, Heinz employees are, are users of the MediOrbis system. I've heard routinely from different, uh, I, I mean, these are nurses. So, you know, they 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 love the ease of access to get to to the medical care right. that they need. And it's it's been a great experience working with uh, with you over over many years. But, uh, you know, specifically as, as our health plan over the last year, uh, I've just I've heard nothing but great things. So really appreciate you taking some time with us today. And uh, and yeah, if you want to get in contact with uh, with Jonathan Wiesen, you can reach him at the number below. All right. Thanks, Steve. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Hindsight.